Hey, you're listening to Everyday Mulemanship with Ty Evans. Our goal is to help you bring out the best in your mules, and by doing so, we believe that the mule will bring out the best in you. God bless you. Hope you enjoy. For this episode, I'm going to interview a good friend of mine, Joe G. Uh, Joe's a really good saddle maker. He's a family man, husband, father, fly fisherman, packer, mule enthusiast, retired orthodontist, and uh, just a dang good guy. So this podcast uh, episode was a lot of fun to to do here. Um, you know, mulemanship is something that you know, becomes part of of all aspects of life and you know, something you gotta live. And you know, this this podcast being called Everyday Mulemanship, it's it's stuff that we do every day that helps our mulemanship. That's kinda why I, I have folks like Joe on here and and we're gonna talk about how we build saddles and saddle fit and and all these things. Uh, you know, but a big part of, of what we do in the clinics is help people come back from a, a big wreck or a, a traumatic experience where something happened with their mules. Maybe they came off. Maybe they got bucked off. Something happened, and it spooked them real bad, and now they've got some confidence issues. So it was fun talking to Joe here. You know, He'll talk to you about a big wreck that he had and how he come back from it, and hopefully you can relate to that, and it'll help you in some way. Uh, but uh, anyways, we had a lot of fun, so I hope you enjoy this, and uh, we'll get going. Here we go. All right, welcome to the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. Today I'm here with my good buddy, Joe G. Uh, Joe and I have been friends a long time. He's he's like a father to me. I Sometimes I think grandpa, but he, wouldn't, he doesn't <laughs> like me to call him grandpa. So, But uh, anyways... Joe's one of my best friends, and glad to have him on. So, welcome to the podcast, Joe. Uh, happy to be here, Ty. Glad to have you. So, uh, to introduce Joe a little bit, Joe's a, a saddle maker. He builds amazing saddles, amazing tack. You've built two saddles for me, right? And you've built you built a saddle for my father-in-law Larry, and then uh, lots of friends. So, builds awesome saddles. Uh, retired orthodontist mm-hmm. in a past life. Right, in another life. Yeah, another Correct. life. And uh, Joe's a real good packer. Joe and I, we we do a couple. Well, sometimes more than a couple pack trips a year. And and uh, Joe's taught me how to fly fish, and and uh, it's just great. Good man, real good man. So, Joe, I want to got a few things we're going to talk about today. Um, first of all, let's just start with the mules. So, why don't you tell us all? Um, how you got into mules, what maybe what in your life guided you down that road, what piqued your interest in mules, and tell us how, how that began. Sure. You know, even though my parents grew up uh, in rural settings, uh, their whole effort in life was to get into a, a more established kind of job. So they, I grew up in the suburbs in uh, Provo, Utah area, and uh, just had a, a real kind of nice childhood in that respect, but there there weren't mules or horses in our immediate family, although I did know quite a few people who did have them, and as I got a little older, uh, I used to ride a fair amount with friends who had horses, but uh, it, it wasn't part of my family. 
background, but uh, so I was always enjoyed the animals and kind of felt at some point in my life when uh, I had the money and the time that that's what I'd like to get into. And uh, after I kind of finished school and started working, uh, a fellow moved in next door to me that had mules. And, and I, I knew nothing about mules, just I, I vaguely was aware of that they were a hybrid. But uh, uh, anyway, he, he had mules and started inviting me to come and ride and uh, really enjoyed it. And they, I just connected with them. And I was, I was at a point in my life where I was uh, thinking that uh, I wanted to start heading that direction. And uh, I can't say there was any one real attribute that drew me that way because I didn't know enough about the animals in general to, to make those kind of decisions. But I just felt an affinity with mules and everything I've done with them in the past 20 years since that time has has confirmed that uh, mules and me were made for each other. Yeah, as I'm, we're hanging out here in Joe's shop and I'm looking around, there's pictures on the wall of family and friends and mules. And so, so how many years ago, I guess, did you get into mules at this point? Well, it's like I say, it's probably been about 20, 20? 25 years ago now. Yeah. So I, I wasn't a young guy. I was in my late 40s yeah. when when I started. Yeah. Uh, you know, most people we meet, you know, they've, most people kind of start with horses. And then, and then they kind of, you know, especially trail riders seem to be drawn to the mules over a period of time. You know, they hear about things. But you, you started right into mules. You went right into mules. I did. So. I had ridden horses, but yep. yeah, when when it came to owning, yeah, it was mules. So you, uh, you know, your kids and everything. I guess they were a little bit older. You know, they how old were your kids and stuff when you started getting into this? They were high school age or. Well, I I have six children altogether, and let's see, two of them were out of the house, and the other four, um, they they did ride with me and yeah. have ridden with me, but I can't say that. Uh, it, it hasn't really been a big part of their yeah. lives. They're happy to go, but uh, uh, it's it's not something that they're... Yeah, well, I've came over a few times. You've had your grandkids riding and stuff. you got a, you know, you got a couple good, real good meals, old Gretchen and Bodell, the grandkids come over and ride. But is that something they're still doing? Are they coming over? Oh, yeah. We've got 17 grandkids, and the first thing out of their mouths when they, they come down to visit is, uh, can we ride the mules? Yeah. They say mules. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and uh, getting into the mules, that kind of led you to, you know, you picked an interest in packing. You'd always, you've told me before how you backpacked before mules. You know, you, you like to hike and go backpacking, and then you started going on these pack trips, right? Right. Well, my whole life recreationally has been involved with the outdoors, fishing, yeah. falconry, um, backpacking a lot of trips into the Uintas and Wind Rivers in Wyoming and and so uh, to have to to see the possibility of doing that uh, that love of my life along with the mules was just you know a, a great yeah. combination and it was all fun and games until you got hurt that is true right? yeah so so I have a lot of listeners and you know a lot of a lot of people come to my clinics and stuff with with baggage. You know, they've been in a bad wreck 
they've been in some kind of traumatic uh, you know incident where they've come off their mules something's happened they've been bucked off run off with mm-hmm. whatever they've busted up and they come to clinics for confidence they want to get feeling better you know they want to they they still want to be with the mules and they, they want this in their life but they just can't you know they're they come to me for help to get that confidence and mm-hmm. so maybe you could tell us about uh, your wreck and what happened how it happened and and uh and then kind of how you've i mean you've bounced back i mean you, you know joe and i we write all the time now you know and it's it's a big part of your life so maybe tell us that story joe sure um in in riding mules i i found myself on the ground plenty of times <laughs> I, I was not a a talented writer uh, particularly so but but that didn't it didn't surprise me or shock me. Uh, uh, various reasons, riding in rough country and yeah. and get spilled and and so this is this was something a little bit different. My wife and I uh, at this point we owned we owned a couple of mules, but uh, for some reason I can't remember the particulars. I I borrowed one from this neighbor who lived next door to me, and we we went up into the mountains that are oh, about 40 miles from our place. And uh, so she was riding one of our mules and I was riding one that I had never ridden before. Um, we started up this trail, it was kind of in a ravine, and this was in a in a mountainous setting here in Utah, uh, fairly rough country. And uh, the we had ridden the mules a few couple of hours earlier in a different spot decided that we wanted to go up on this one trail so uh, we had trailered the mules from that original spot to to this new trailhead and and the only reason i mention that is i, I think the mules are in a pattern of uh, you get ridden for a certain amount of time and then it's over and and their work is done well that didn't happen this time. We took them out of the trailer and they found themselves on the trail um, being ridden again. And I could tell this one was uh, jumpy and uneasy, especially looking at it in retrospect. I, I should have tuned into uh, the signals I was getting from the mule a little bit better. But uh, anyway, what happened was we got about a mile up this trail and there was a little stream down in the bottom of this uh, canyon. The trail uh, was up a little bit on the side of the canyon. Anyway, the the mule went off the trail down uh, towards the stream on its kind of on its own. And as I proceeded to direct it back up to the trail, all of a sudden it just came unglued and started bucking. And my wife was there close to me, and. and I think probably most people in their minds envision this happening at some time in their life or another, and and so I, I was my instant thought was I'm I'm going to stay on I'm going to ride through this bucking incident I'm I'm not going to be on the ground here. Well, I the saddle that I had at the time uh, had a a horn that was just a piece of metal. It, mm. it was not covered with leather, it was not very wide, and uh, it, it was specifically built that way, and it was really pretty saddle. This was a silver horn, but anyway, I went up in the air, slammed down on this horn. Oh, man. 
knew I was hurt a little bit, went up in the air again, oh, slammed down a second time. And all of this, you know, was just happening Dang. very quickly. But I, I knew I was hurt bad. And on the third buck, I, I dove off. Yeah, you just wanted off. I, I, yep, I, I dove Jeez. off. And uh, the mule kind of ran back up on, on the trail. And, and uh, I laid there and, and my, my wife came over and she was looking at me and... Uh, she she said, "Are you going to be okay?" And and I said, oh, I, "I don't know." And when you get a smashed in the groin like that, like oh, I did I coming down on the saddle horn twice, it kind of takes the wind out of you, and you breathe. feel you feel nauseated and sick. And I said to her, "I said, you know, give me give me a couple minutes here. I'll I'll get my breath back, and I think I'll be okay." Well, after about ten minutes, still, if I tried to lift my head up I, I would grow faint and oh, start to black out and, and uh, I began to realize that something was was really wrong and uh, anyway what what had happened as we found out later at the hospital was that uh, I'd split my pelvis open Jeez. about uh, two and a half inches I'd say just uh, a small break <laughs> yeah the, the pelvis is a Jeez. is kind of a ring and and it's connected at one part by cartilage rather than solid bone. And that cartilage had torn apart and, and just split open. Oh, wow. But uh, I didn't find that out till a little later. I, when I realized that I, I was not going to be able to walk or, or ride, I asked my wife to go down to the trailhead and see if she could get some help. And I, didn't, I don't really know what I thought she was going to come back with because... Uh, there was no way a vehicle could have gotten in there. It would have been difficult even for a helicopter with the trees and things like that. But, uh, you know, mountain rescue is is a common business in the state of Utah. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought she'd come up with something. So anyway, I laid there and she went down the trail and came back uh, about maybe an hour and a half later. And as long as I just laid there, I... I I was okay. I, I hurt, but I, I was really okay. Anyway, she came back with uh, uh, the two mules, and, and I said, well, you know, what are we going to do? <laughs> Where's the hell? Yeah. <laughs> Where's the rescue party, huh? <laughs> and, and she says, well, this, this is, I'm afraid this is about oh, it. You know, geez. there's nobody down there, and uh, I didn't want to really leave you. So we determined that I could probably get on the mule belly down sideways over it you know like uh like, like you see in, yeah like, like you John see Wayne dead bodies <laughs> coming out in movies so Gosh. so she tied the mule up to a aspen drug me over there and and my fear was that as she started to put put me up there the, the mule would kind of move a little bit as mm -hmm. they sometimes will when you're trying to get on or or if something is not mm -hmm. just regular but uh no, that mule stood dead still. This was her mule, not the one that had bucked me. <laughs> that one, that one was was down the trail a long way. So, yeah. Anyway, we we just had the one mule at that point. So she got me pushed up over it, uh, uh, face down, and and we she proceeded to lead the mule down out of the mountain, and it was pretty good. Ex except where the trail narrowed and it'd go between trees and I was either going to bump my head or my feet. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, Can't imagine. Yeah. What a mess. We got down and 
she got me into pushed me up into the back seat of the truck and uh, anyway uh, an hour and a half later we were at the hospital and uh, I still remember the uh, they took me in and, and took an x-ray the the x-ray tech this was a Saturday evening so the there weren't a whole lot of people left in the hospital by the time we got there but the guy goes oh my gosh <laughs> started yelling to his co-workers that were oh, no. they were around you got to come and take a look at this x-ray anyway uh that was kind of you don't hear of that what happened yeah geez so but you still wanted to be involved with mules that didn't it didn't scare i mean it scared you pretty good but you still wanted to to do this right well what was your thoughts I, I really, I, I loved everything about the mules, the way I, it got me outside. I've always liked animals, always had dogs and, and other things. So I I didn't really want to give it up, but I, I was seriously pretty traumatized. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was a serious injury that took me months and months to get back to where I could walk normal. Mm -hmm. my, my urinary system was messed up. Um, life was not going to be the same and the doctor told me he said you know you do not want to ever do have this kind of accident again uh, otherwise you're really going to be seriously Jeez. damaged uh, that spooks you yeah like you might have a, a what do they call it like a colostomy oh, bag well, yeah. sort of thing so I was I was pretty traumatized about it, but um, um, your father-in-law, Larry, actually kind of helped me back. It was about mm, four or five months later before I uh, felt like I physically was where I could get back on a meal, where I could raise my leg again and, and get up, but I, the big problem was mentally, mm -hmm. if, if I could um, manage that, and... Uh, Anyway, he, he really kind of, he said, we're just going to go out to a place, it's nice and there's no jumps or anything like that, and we won't do anything that you're not comfortable with, and we had a really good calm mule, and I remember we, we came up to a little rise that was maybe eight inches, and he said, you feel good about going over that? And I said, yeah, I can handle mm -hmm. that, and went over that, and anyway, over a course of about... Probably through that winter and into the next spring, I just kept getting more and more confidence up, and and it was and it was because I had people to ride with that were very understanding and were not pressuring me to uh, get back into some of the more active stuff that yeah. we we ride. Yeah, we we got a great group of friends we ride with, don't we? We do. Yep. You know, and, and he's talking about my father-in-law, Larry, that's Sky's dad, and, and uh, he's he's good to help. He loves to help people. Yeah. One of my favorite stories that he shared is is when he finally put laid the laid the law down on you. <laughs> do you want, do you want to share that on here? Yeah, <laughs> that's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. So so th this was actually I think before the that accident, and uh, so. Larry was one of the main people that I, I learned how to ride from and mm -hmm. was a riding partner. But uh, so 
you got to understand, I, I'm I'm about six one, and I have long legs, even for a person that tall. So my legs are usually dangling down beneath the belly of the mule. So when I if I'm wearing want to spur or something, it's a little different mechanism for me. I have to kind of bring my knees up and so forth. And and my concept of the time of how you stayed on a mule was that you kind of squoze it with your legs. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> this is this is not accurate as you know, but in order for me to squeeze a mule with yeah. my legs, I had to actually sort of bring my knees up a little yeah. bit. And so so one day we're we're riding and he just stops and he turns around and he says, "Okay." He says, if you're going to ride with me anymore, you've got to quit riding like a dork. <laughs> <laughs> that, for those of you that know my father-in-law, he's you know you know he speaks his mind. He he talks his thoughts, doesn't he? That's right. <laughs> and uh, of course, I was a little taken back, and I like, well, what do you mean? No, I don't want to be a dork rider. <laughs> and he says, well, your your whole posture is all wrong here. He says, you know this is this is how it's supposed to be and and he educated me to a few principles and and pointed out that squeezing with my knees was not the key to staying on and uh anyway to a certain extent i left my dorkiness behind at that <laughs> moment and moved on so yeah. i i appreciate oh, him for, for telling me he's a character isn't he yeah he's always good for a laugh but uh yeah it's it's good to you know I heard a quote, and, I, and I'm probably going to mess it up here, but it said, you, you're a product of the people you're around and the choices you make. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you said iron sharpens iron, you know, and so hanging out with good people, I mean, that was probably, do you think that was a big part of what got you coming back and, and continuing this was the people that helped you out here? Oh, very much. I, I really enjoyed the company of, of the people I I rode with and and I consider myself to have had such a um, an advantage because you know riding with you riding with Larry and some of the other guys who are are very experienced uh, I, I had great uh, great examples and and of course and it finally dawned on me that I um, I didn't know what I didn't know yep I was I was largely ignorant. I I sort of felt like, hey, if you can just stay on the middle of the animal and and get it to sort of turn right and left and stop and go, you're there. What more is there? And uh, and gradually, as as my mind allowed me a whole new world of riding skills, you know, opened up to me, and uh, so it. You know, and not everybody has that advantage of having good good riding buddies who uh, are as knowledgeable as, as you and Larry. Yeah, it, it's good to be around good people. But So let's kind of shift gears a little bit, and uh, this kind of leads us to the next chapter in your life. And like I said earlier, Joe builds beautiful saddles. Great tack, you know. If you open up my, my tack room, you'll see... Lots of stuff that Joe's built. So, why don't you tell us how how you kind of got into this uh, building saddles? Because yeah, if I if I understand right, it, it's related to this wreck. It was uh, as I got looking at the wreck, I I said, well, this this saddle was just an accident waiting to happen. Somebody's going to get hurt on this saddle mm -hmm. sooner or later, given 
the way that horn was. And uh, so I started talking with some people and found out that there was, was a fellow in, in my community who was a, a custom saddle maker. So I went and talked with him and explained my thoughts. And he said, yeah, you're absolutely right. And we talked a little bit about what I wanted in a saddle. And, and I had had some family members who did a little bit of leather work uh, like you know wallets and purses and things so I was a little bit familiar with leather work and and anyway this fellow said you know you could do this yourself he said uh, if you want to take a shot at it I'm happy to you know give you advice and guidance and I said you, you're absolutely right I, I think I could and I, I think I would really enjoy it so it all started there about 20 years ago or so and uh, um, the more I built, the more I enjoyed it, and uh, the more, like anything, the more you get into it, the more complex, mm -hmm. uh, the more you find out th there's a depth of knowledge there that you really have to apply yourself to to become a master yes. at it. It's been fun. I haven't <clears throat> been able to do as much this winter, but last winter I hang out, hung out with you in the shop quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And you're right, Dan. You don't know what you don't know. Geez, I, I had no idea some of the things you taught me, you know, about leather and, and you know, how you, how you prepare and take care of these things. It's just amazing. So why don't you tell us now kind of how that, you know, obviously you're into mules. Mm -hmm. And now you're, into, <clears throat> now you're into building saddles and tack. And it just made sense for you to combine the two. And... You know, now you're basically, am I right? You're pretty much mule specific. When you're building these saddles, you're building your tech, you're all about the mules. That is right. At first I was um, building for horses and mules. And of course I, I didn't have that much business. So I was trying to give away saddles to my friends and, and uh, that sort of thing. But uh, eventually as I got better at it and uh, realize that the, the business I was in was really custom work and uh, no two animals have a back that's the same and, and in my opinion when you hear someone say that well I, I've got um, you know a saddle that'll fit everything that's generally not no that's not the case fake news yep, <laughs> yep there it might fit the vast majority of animals, but but they are all a little bit different mules as well as, as horses. And because I was riding mules myself, I was associating with mule people, and, and I had actually more work than I could do, I decided that I would just try and become the, as knowledgeable about mule backs and how mules function as, as learn everything there was to know about it. Every, Every bit of information I could find from any source was became my quest, and uh, so that's what I do: is just uh, tack for mules. In the clinics, the question inevitably comes up about saddle fit. Every mm -hmm. every clinic I get asked about saddle fit, and um, you know I often refer them to your your video. Joe made a you know a great video. Um, it's on his website, josephgsaddlery.com, and and it's a good video talking about uh, saddle fit, mostly about britching, 
mm-hmm. fit, but you talk about saddle fit on there, and you're going to be making a new video, right? Right. That particular video was uh, specifically to show people how to adjust britching and breast collars on a mule, and, but I found in, in doing it that I couldn't really explain that very well without talking about the saddle that those items were going to be attached to and right. and how to do that. So it sort of became a combination of saddle design and, and britching and breast collar design. But I am planning this spring to do to split those up and do one just specifically on how to evaluate your mules back and how to get the most out of a saddle yeah. saddle fit. Well maybe you could share with us a couple things to look for, you know, to check that your saddle fits. You know, uh, just some basics. And from my experience, nothing fits perfect. I've never found something that's just perfect everywhere. Right. I, I mean, I just, as much as we want it to be, I don't think there's anything that's perfect, right? Right. But maybe you could share with us a couple things. You know, if, if you walk up to a mule that's saddled up and you're looking at, at this saddle sitting on the mule, what what's the first couple things you look at? that you could say the saddle fits or doesn't fit? Well, let me kind of address this problem by first of all describing a few things about mule backs in general and then how how the saddles apply to them. Um, mules tend to have a flatter, straighter back than, than a horse if you're looking at the animal from, from front to back. Uh, they don't have near as much dip in the middle of their back. That's called rocker. And uh, part of it's because their withers are less pronounced. The withers are lower. And so if one end of the line is lower, it's going to tend to flatten out the whole thing. But uh, I've you see mules that have very horse-like backs and other mules that are very straight like a donkey's. So you just kind of look first of all and and if you're when you get used to looking at a number of animals you'll you'll see some that are straighter than others then the other one of the other things you want to look at is how prominent the spine is uh some uh, mules particularly if they're out of it seems like thoroughbred lines uh, will have a prominent spine and that is kind of a problem or can be a problem. If you're contemplating buying that animal, you might want to keep looking because the the more prominent the spine, potentially the more interference with the saddle and, and it's easier to soar the, the animal up. Um, another thing is that mules have a, oft times a convexity about two thirds of the way down their back. It's at the junction of the lumbar and sacral vertebrae not that that doesn't mean anything to anybody but about two-thirds of the way down the back the saddle or the animal's back shifts from being concave to convex Mm -hmm. and if that's very pronounced you're you're gonna have to be really careful about not having your saddle rub on that spot and um, probably the other thing is that a lot of, of mules are a little bit narrow in the gullet area just behind the withers compared to a horse um, so if you're if you're taking a just sort of randomly a saddle that was built for a horse and putting it on a mule chances are it's going to sink down there in the front uh, 
and as it sinks down the front, the back raises up, and uh, and and you tend to think, well, this uh, this saddle should sit down more in the back, but in fact, it's the front that needs to be propped up. The animal just doesn't have enough meat up there in mm -hmm. that area to uh, hold the front of the saddle up. So those are just some kind of some general things to look at. Uh, if if you're not sure how to evaluate your saddle, probably the main first thing to do is uh, take and put that saddle on your mule's back without a pad on first. And uh, most saddles will have some sheepskin or foam underneath and, and that kind of uh, um, makes the evaluation a little more difficult. But what you're looking for, ideal is a, is a saddle that just sort of settles right down into the back of the animal that it doesn't uh, as you press down in the front it doesn't rise in the back or vice versa that it it doesn't rock back and forth it just seems to be well supported uniformly um, underneath the saddle and and you may need to kind of wiggle it around and so forth to to see if if that's the case now the opposite problem might be that the saddle is too narrow for the mule and if if that's the case, that's a little easier to spot because it'll, as you try and get it to to sit down on the mule's back, it just simply won't settle in and, and it's propped up. And, and that is definitely something you want to avoid. Um, that, that saddle just isn't going to work for that animal if it's too narrow. Um, we can talk about some of the things that could be done to uh, correct those problems or um, what are you yeah. thinking about at yeah, this sure point? Yeah, a couple things that, you know, so say somebody has a saddle that, you know, from their evaluation, it, it doesn't fit terribly, but it's not perfect. We already talked about it. nothing can be perfect, but it's not, you know, they can make it a little bit better. What kind of things could they do? Um, Excellent question. That's where saddle pads come into play. And um, on the market today, there are some really good saddle pads that have shim systems in them. And uh, it's just like if you've got a pair of shoes that are too big, you might put on a couple of pair of socks mm -hmm. and, and uh, so your foot isn't just uh, wiggling around in there. And you don't want to go with a really thick pad. Uh, I, I think uh, three quarters of an inch is plenty, sometimes one inch uh, if, if it's not too far off. But uh, you don't want to get like a, a Packers pad where you know they can be an inch and a half or two. It, uh, you'll start rolling around on the back mm -hmm. of the animal. Um, but if you if you put so if you've determined first of all you've looked at the saddle on the back without any pad under it take the saddle off put whatever pad you've got on uh, the animal and then put the saddle back on and see if uh, any problems that you felt were there uh, if they look any better you know and and this is really a hard thing to describe to a person um, what exactly they're looking for, but the saddle should sort of nestle into the back of the animal. You shouldn't feel like it's uh, just sort of perched up there on top. I've, I've heard a 
Well, I've heard, you know, Ray Hunt said, your saddle should fit like a hat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So just sit on there like a hat. It's a good way to describe it. And, and if the pad is helping that, uh, then perhaps your problem is solved. If on the other hand, uh, you, you find that it still is not supported adequately in the front, and, and this is the most common problem I see is the too wide in the gullet, uh, then what you might want to do is consider a pad that has a shim system and, and what that means is there's just some little pockets built into the pad where you can add these uh, felt uh, uh, little shims that are about they'll be oh maybe a quarter of an inch thick mm -hmm. and uh, put one in on each side and that just uh, you know fills the animal out a little bit there put the saddle back on see how it looks you you definitely don't want to have a, a rock in this rocking motion in in the saddle that's uh, as you cinch it up you'll pull it down tight in the front the back will come up and uh, and it just causes a point a fulcrum sort of situation up there in the front of the saddle and that's why so many mules that you see have got white marks uh, uh, you know about five or six inches behind their withers mm -hmm. it's because that that saddle's been uh, cinched up there it doesn't really fit in the front and it digs mm -hmm. down in yeah well that's good uh that's some good stuff there joe you know on the topic of white marks something that i've that i've learned from my experience and stuff too is that if you use your mules you're gonna get some wear and tear mm -hmm. and you told me once it's kind of a joke but you said if you don't want white marks get a white mule <laughs> <laughs> i've got three mules and two of them are white <laughs> but you know do you agree with me there that I mean like I have some great fitting saddles but I use my mules and over a period of time they will get some white marks uh, here and there but it's not major but they'll get that and uh, I've kind of related it to you know if you're you're working with your hands all the time you're gonna get calluses you know as I'm hanging out here with you 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 know your hands are a little beat up you know working with this leather and you got dye on your hands and you know it yeah calluses you know, but, but you want to do your best to to set it up right so that you can avoid as best as you can from getting those white marks in, in a in an ill-fitting saddle right and sometimes people get really alarmed by a white spot or even when they take their saddle pad off with a dry spot mm -hmm. you know and uh, I I have a there's a vet that lives across the road from me who's a um, very much into uh, eventing and owns a number of horses and I talked to her about this and she said it appears that that white ca is caused from a lack of circulation in an area extra excessive pressure mm -hmm. in a spot but she says it's it is a very um, kind of relative thing some of it's unavoidable so, yeah. yeah, I don't get too worked up about a, a spot or when you take the pad off, a dry spot either. Mm -hmm. um, it has more to do with the behavior of the animal. Yeah. If they see, seem comfortable under saddle and so right. forth, um, then I wouldn't worry too much about it. Cool. Well, this has been good. So, Joe is also somebody that's very progressive and, you know, you're always looking for new things. You know, you've you've invented this awesome set of hobbles with some good material and and you're always doing things like that but why don't you tell us a little bit about 
what the future holds for you and and some of these things you're looking to and maybe future of uh future of saddles uh, maybe give us some some thoughts on on those things that's a that is a very good question um riding and and all the gear associated with it are very much tied up in tradition right and and we have this tradition that have been carried down we live out here in the old west you and i do and yep. uh, and that's what we we like um leather is getting more and more expensive as is most things but leather disproportionately so and as i've talked to the leather suppliers they they say china is bought, buying up huge amounts of leather as they've their population has uh gain more purchasing right. power belts shoes coats whatever um anyway um i've seen leather about triple in the last i'd say 12 15 years and sometimes people will they have a saddle that's maybe got some cordura nylon on it or something like that and they'll say they act like they're kind of embarrassed like oh you know this is what i could afford and that and and that that is not in my mind a problem i i build with leather because that's what my customers want but uh, if i was building for myself i i might use some uh some nylon I, actually i use nylon latigos mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh uh for a variety of reasons i i think they're superior actually to leather but um talking about where where things are going so what I'm talking about here all has to do with the cost of a saddle you're, you're not only paying for the saddle makers time and skills but you're paying for materials and uh, that's where things are really taking a big jump now uh, a saddle tree is typically made out of wood covered with rawhide and that is a very it requires a lot of skill to be able to do that and um, it's labor-intensive when, when you a tree right now for me to buy a tree from a, a really good tree maker costs almost six hundred dollars wow. just for the tree and uh, one thing that is out there on the horizon is trees that are made out of composite materials that are uh, um, injection molded or 3d printed mm -hmm. uh, something like that and the materials that they have anymore i think this is really kind of going to be the future of saddle trees is uh, these composites because they're stronger than the wooden rawhide the rawhide has a lot of stitching on it and eventually that stitching tends to wear out that's not going to happen on a composite tree mm -hmm. um, they one of the side benefits is they will sometimes have a little bit of flex to them. A, uh, a traditional tree is very rigid, and so we're trying to fit a, a rigid saddle on a on a horse that, as it's walking and running, is constantly changing shape. So something that has a little flex is is actually very desirable. Uh, the composites are not going to be affected by uh, water; they won't mm -hmm. absorb water. And, things like that so they right now to make a mold um, 
for a, a composite tree is, is kind of expensive. I, I There are some people that build them and I ordered one and uh, it's uh, it looks pretty impressive. I think it is going to be the future, but it's not exactly the size that I want and it's hard to adjust those much. It pretty much necessitates yep. a new mold. Mm -hmm. So right now that's pretty expensive. Uh, anyway, that's one area where things are gonna change. Um, the other, the, there are some some substitutes for the leather in some areas that, especially if they're going to get wet mm -hmm. and things like that, leather doesn't do well with water yeah. and uh, some things like that. So that's kind of where I'm looking. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, in my clinics and stuff I see, well, I've talked to you about it before, I've seen a variety of, you know, saddles and mm -hmm. gear and there's just, if you think you, you know, you know it all with tack. It's next thing, next clinic I go to is all new stuff. You know, it's amazing. But you know, one of my favorite things about hanging out with you, Joe, is that you know I feel like we're a lot alike. We, you know, for for me with the mules, I always I'm always looking to do the next best thing. Uh, you know, I I want to get better. I strive to be better all the time. And and that's the same thing you do with your with your saddles. I'm sitting here looking at a saddle Joe's building right now, and I made the comment when I walked in. I said, "Dang, you're getting." every single saddle you're carving gets better and better you know <laughs> but you know we're always trying to improve our skills mm -hmm. and that's something that i i got a lot of respect for you but well finishing up um you know this podcast might be around for a long time i hope it is a lot of people are going to be listening to this but if you could give give the audience some advice and it can be about life about mules saddles you know, you talked about your wreck, come back from your injury, but off the top of your head, what, and I didn't ask you this before, so this is a surprise to you, but what what advice could you give us all um, going through life? You know, I I think that my, my life has been so enriched by mules, and uh, it's, uh, fortunately, I'm, my wife enjoys them also. Um, I, I would say enjoy these animals. Just get out on them. Don't worry too much about having the latest and greatest tack mm -hmm. and, and so forth. Uh, it's nice and you definitely want to make be sure the mule's comfortable and so forth. But um, uh, nobody ever looks back on their life and says, gosh, I wish I would have gone to another meeting <laughs> yeah. or you know yeah. worked a few more hours mm -hmm. of overtime or something like that yeah. and, and that's easy to say if you've you know if you're able to pay your mortgage and put food on the table if you're if you're not then that's a, a different world it, it is getting harder and harder to own animals yep. land's expensive food's expensive and so forth but uh, if if you can do it it it's, makes your life so much richer that's good advice, Joe. I appreciate you doing this. It's been a lot of fun. You want to do it again sometime? I do. Thanks, Ty. Yep. Appreciate uh, it. Um, now, where can people find you? I mentioned your website, josephgsalary.com. Mm -hmm. Where else can they find you? Um, my phone number, um, which is 801-735-2035. Call me. I, I, I'm not very good with the technology, so I, I'm... Emails don't yep. 
won't always do well with me. And your your wife, Lori, she's a sweetheart. She she runs your emails a little bit, so she yeah. checks them for you. And and uh, I know she kind of runs your social media a little bit too. You're not on there a lot, but you you know you're on Instagram, and uh, I've tagged you a few times on that. And people can find you on Facebook, Joseph G. Saddlery. So, and uh, if people want to call with a question in that, I I always you know. Yep. I like to talk to people on the phone. Yeah, you That's do. Good. Well, Joe, it's been fun. I appreciate you. And uh, I appreciate all you guys listening. Uh, we'd love to hear feedback on this. If you have any questions or any comments, uh, just let us know. Uh, but God bless you, and we'll see you down the road. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Mulemanship. If you could do me a favor, tell your friends about this podcast. I sure appreciate it. Leave us a five-star review and, and tell us what you think. God bless you. See you down the road.